In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Dear Reverend Fathers, dear brothers and seminarians, dear brother postulants, dear faithful, Holy Scripture tells us that the number of fools is infinite. And that's so much to indicate that the human race, as a general rule, is not very good at making decisions. And the best example of this, certainly the most outrageous example of human foolishness, was the decision of putting God to death at the crucifixion of our Lord Jesus Christ. The most foolish thing done in the history of the world. Because our Lord Jesus Christ is goodness itself. He is the only one who can save the human race. He spent his life healing sickness, teaching the true way of happiness, and yet his own people hated him. The Romans knew he was innocent and executed him. An incredible foolishness. And ever since our Lord's coming into this world, we can really see, determine whether people are foolish or wise by whether they attach themselves to our Lord Jesus Christ or they attach themselves to this world. The ways of the world are superficial. They only lead to an empty happiness. They simply cannot satisfy us in this life or in the next. And so attaching ourselves to these things is foolish. Meanwhile, the ways of our Lord are peaceful. They lead to the greatest happiness possible. They provide us the ultimate satisfaction in this life and in the next. As we know, there's this radical incompatibility of the vision of our Lord and the vision of, of, of the world. His ways for the world are foolishness, while the world's ways for him are foolishness. But for us who are here today, hopefully we understand clearly who is right in this, we may say, intellectual dispute as to what is wisdom and what is not, what is, what is in reality really foolish and what is really wise. We know which foolishness is real foolishness and which foolishness is actually the height of wisdom. St. Paul settles to the dispute when he says, the foolishness of God is wiser than men. When our Lord came down on this earth, he taught human beings true wisdom. He is the incarnate wisdom of God, the wisdom of God from eternity becoming incarnate in time. Men were very confused about what is necessary to find happiness in this life. They had been trying so hard to find happiness in pleasure, happiness in fame, happiness in glory, but they kept on finding that this worldly happiness was not happiness at all. They knew the wrong way, we may say, to find happiness, but they had not yet discovered the right way. Our Lord knows the right way. He is God, and so he knows all things. He dwells in a state of perfect, unchanging happiness. His happiness is infinite and cannot be altered. And so when he takes flesh as man, he comes not just to redeem us and make salvation possible to us, but he also shows us the way to salvation, the way to perfection, the way to this total completion of our being, which is happiness. 
he makes the attainment of happiness something very, very concrete. With his incarnation, it's extremely simple. All you have to do is follow our Lord Jesus Christ. That's all that is necessary. If thou wilt be perfect, follow me. To be happy in the end is just simply to be like God. To imitate God as best as you can. And to be like God is to follow our Lord Jesus Christ, to live as he lived in his life. And our Lord makes a solemn promise to us that those who leave everything to follow him will receive a hundredfold in this life. In other words, they will receive a hundred times more than the things they left behind in this life. And also that they will receive a great reward in the life to come. Now the path that our Lord presented to us is extremely sublime. It's so attractive. It's so wise once you understand it that you would think that all human beings would want to embrace that way of life. But because of the foolishness of men, we know that in fact the exact opposite is true. It's extremely rare to find people who want to follow and imitate closely our Lord Jesus Christ, people who want to consecrate their lives to the following of our Lord. How many people in the world today are religious, have taken the three vows? It seems that currently, in 2018, there's about 131 million people that are born each year. Of all these people that are born in 2018, how many of them will give their lives to God through the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience? Can we expect that even 1,000 will consecrate their lives to God? Even if it were 10,000 who consecrated their lives to God, what would this be amidst that crowd of 131 million? Why don't these people, why don't Humans, in general, want to live this life of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why don't they want to live a life which is the surest key to happiness? For many of them, they don't even know that it exists. They're not even familiar with this particular way of life. It's as if the religious state is something foreign to our world today. And so many people can go their whole life without understanding what it is. And of those few who understand what it is... Many of them do not believe that, in fact, it leads to happiness. Instead, they find it rather foolish. The reason is that they are not able to understand the wisdom of God. They do not understand the paradoxes in the teaching of our Lord. Those paradoxes that uh, appear so prominently in the gospel of today's Mass, this Mass of St. Wenceslaus, um, it's the, the expression of the paradox of, of someone who gives their life for our Lord, as St. Wenceslaus did. He, he was martyred for uh, the sake of our Lord, and yet he finds his life. He gets much more by losing his life than he would have by, than by trying to hold on to it. So for the people of the world, the paradoxes of our Lord do not seem to be true. Our Lord says the one who loses his life will find it. He says the grain of wheat has to be buried in the ground and die before it can break forth and bear fruit. All of these seeming contradictions, in fact, contain the height of wisdom. 
In the wisdom of our Lord, if we read the Gospels, he gives four conditions for the perfect life. For him, the perfect the, the conditions for being perfectly happy in this life and in the next are the following. Meanwhile, for the world, these are conditions for misery. The first condition is to suffer trials with patience. The doctrine of the cross. Not the doctrine that you have to have a cross. Everybody has to have a cross. But the doctrine of how you carry that cross. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The second condition is freeing oneself from material things. Whoever among you does not give up all that he possesses cannot be my disciple. If you will be perfect, go, sell all that you have and give to the poor. And thou shalt have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. The third condition is to free yourself from a wife and a family. Everyone that has left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall possess life everlasting. And the final, and we may say the most demanding condition that our Lord gives for leading this perfect life, is freeing oneself from one's own will. Take up my yoke upon you, and learn of me. Because I am meek and humble of heart, and you shall find rest to your souls. This is the wisdom of God. The evangelical wisdom revealed to us by the coming of God upon this earth. This is the plan for the perfect life. And in the Catholic Church, this plan and this life has been tested time and again through the past 2,000 years by millions of Catholic souls who have consecrated their lives by the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. And it's been found true. This life has been discovered to actually fulfill the promises that were made by our Lord. These Catholic souls who have truly given themselves over to the religious life have found happiness in this life and they've found their eternal reward in the next Yet how few there are who think of this life as a perfect one, as being the very best life. It's now been 10 years since we've had this ceremony at Holy Cross, the ceremony of the taking of the habit. 10 years have passed without a single soul coming forward to consecrate his life to our Lord Jesus Christ to become a religious It was 10 years ago that Sahaya Santa Cruz took the habit and became Brother Francis. And tomorrow, Brother Francis will commit himself definitively to this life by taking his perpetual vows. Who thought at the time that he took the habit back in 2008 that no one would step forward here at Holy Cross to embrace this life of perfect imitation of Jesus Christ for an entire decade? Thus, it's today an extremely great joy for us to find not just one, but three young men stepping forward 
and a great spirit of generosity to embrace this beautiful life, this life of religion, this state of perfection, as a sign of the fact that they are changing their state in life. They are entering a new state. Each of them will be given a new name. And the newness of their name is a symbol of the newness of their way of life. They were given one name by their parents. And today, they will be given a new name by Holy Mother Church. Their their parents provided them the life of their body. And when they did so, they gave them a name. And today, the, the church is giving them this perfect life of Jesus Christ and giving them another name, a new name for their new life. This new name that they will take and this new clothing, this new habit that they will put on, that uh, our new brothers will take up, it will help them live their new life. It's one thing, as, as you all know, to understand what this life of perfection is that Jesus Christ has revealed to us. And it's very much another thing to actually live that life. Holy Mother Church understands the great desire that these brother postulants have to live this life. And she wants to help you as much as she can to embrace this life with your whole heart, your whole soul, your whole mind, and your whole strength. And so she gives you your new name, the name of of one saint or of two saints, and you will bear the names of these saints so that you can desire to imitate them. You will bear uh, the names of these saints so that you can call upon these saints uh, for assistance in living out your religious life. Every time you hear your name in religion pronounced, your new name pronounced, um, it will be a reminder to you of the new life that you have embraced, of the holiness to which you are called. Also, as I mentioned, in order to assist you to embrace this life with your whole spirit, the church gives you new clothing to wear each day of your life. The black cassock with the black cincture. This religious habit um, is a holy habit. It's a habit that is blessed by the priest, that, that I will bless very shortly. And it's not just your habit that is blessed by the priest, but it is you that are blessed by the priest. At the same time, the prayer of blessing indicates why you wear the habit. The whole purpose of the habit is so that you can put on Jesus Christ. The symbol of the habit is a symbol of you clothing yourself in our Lord Jesus Christ. You try to become like Him. It represents this desire uh, that you have to be like Him. And you become, as it were, by wearing this habit and leading this life, you become a living symbol of His wisdom. You become representatives of that life that He lived. You replicate his very life that he lived here below, that he described to us in the Gospels, in which he exemplified in his own life. The blessing says the following, O Lord Jesus Christ, we beseech thee to bless this habit and thy servant here present, so that he may clothe himself with thee by imitating thee who are the example of all perfection. You will also receive a crucifix, the crucifix, which is really the summary of this wisdom of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Lord revealing to us 
how we bear most perfectly with this life after the sin of Adam. The, this cross that you will receive is, is meant to be your strength in your trials. It's meant to be your inspiration in all of your activities. It's meant to be the goal which you will strive to achieve. And lastly, but not by any means, least importantly, the church gives you, besides all of these other means, to enable you to, to live your new life as religious, she gives you today a family. You become today a religious, but a religious within the family of the society of St. Pius X. You have St. Pius X as your patron saint. You have the angels in heaven as your special patrons. You have Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre as your founder. You have his priest, his brothers, and his sisters and oblates as your family members. And today is a stage when more or less you officially leave father and mother and brother and sister. But having left them, you gain in return many fathers and many mothers, many brothers and many sisters. You will sanctify yourselves in your life insofar as you live the vows of of poverty, chastity, and obedience, as all religious do. To be a religious, you have to take these vows, you have to live these vows, you have to practice these virtues. But you will also sanctify yourselves insofar as you live those vows in the context of your religious family. You have uh, a context in which you're meant to practice those vows. The community life of your religious family is your path to perfection, your path to holiness and happiness. And embracing this life today, you really only have one obligation. There is one primary obligation for the religious, and this is that you strive for holiness. You are stepping into the state of perfection, and it's your obligation to strive for perfection, to want to be holy, to try to take the means necessary to be holy, to use these resources that are provided to you by the church, especially the holy, the holy vows, so that you will uh, continually advance in holiness. All those who enter this life must desire to be holy. They must work to be holy. Be you perfect as my heavenly Father is perfect. For the average Catholic, this is an imitation for the religious, this is an obligation. You do not take your vows today. That's for next year. But you begin to try out the vows. You begin to uh, see how you can practice these, these vows and virtues so that hopefully in one year you will actually make the vows. What a blessing it is for us today to have these three young men stepping forward and giving themselves over to this religious life, this life of Jesus Christ. How desperately does our world need more of these consecrated souls? The world is starving for souls who consecrate themselves to the service of our Lord. Would that there were thousands who were seeking to enter religion. May the taking of the habit of these three brother postulants today 
be somewhat of an inspiration for others, that they too might desire to enter into the state of perfection. May it not be another 10 years before someone steps forward to take the habit. And while we certainly rejoice very much with these postulants, we must also pray for their perseverance. They don't just take the habit today, but they continue in this life that they are embracing. They persevere in this life. Today they become novices. The word novice just means that they're new. They're new people. They're, they're only starting this way of life. They're at the beginning of their pursuit of perfection. So let us pray to Our Lady that she provide them the grace of perseverance. How wonderful it would be if in 10 years' time, on the 29th of September, 2028, these three young men were stepping forward to make their perpetual vows as Brother Francis will tomorrow. So we must pray for these, these new novices. We must pray for their perseverance, this intention that they are able to persevere in this new life while also rejoicing in this great grace that we have to have three new novices today. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen.